How many of you like oxymorons? Okay, there's a few of us. All right, you know what an oxymoron is? Military intelligence. Military intelligence, exactly. Exactly. Two words that are used to form a new conjunction, a phrase, and independently the words are opposites, but when you put them together, they're pretty funny. I mean, and, they, and we use them all the time, believe it or not. We, we really do. Uh, some of, not my favorite, but some that I pulled out off of the, off of the cuff, and that is exact estimate, right? Yeah. <laughs> Military intelligence probably will be my favorite for today. Or uh, freezer burn, right? right? Uh, I, and I do like genuine imitation, yes. yeah. right? Uh, or jumbo shrimp, yeah, right? right? Or pretty ugly. I mean, that's really putting two words that mean the opposite together, right? Pretty ugly. Well, today we're going to be talking about being childlike, and there's a big difference between being childlike and childish. Say amen to that if you've raised kids. Yeah. Um, and even though oxymorons are different, there's some similarities because some people do get the, the two definitions confused between childlike and childish because the word childish means like a child, right? And then the word childlike means like a child. And so you're like, okay, I'm confused. Childlike and childish have the same definitions, but we use them totally in different ways. And to say you're being childish to an adult is what? It's a, it's, being immature. It's a rebuke. It's, it's, you know, you're kind of giving them a slam. Uh, but to say you're being childlike or your excitement is childlike, it's actually a compliment, right? Yeah. So uh, the adjective childish, though, represents behaving immaturely, silly, foolishly, bad behavior, uh, tantrums. I'm sure none of you have seen a tantrum before. <laughs> How many of you actually threw one this week? Oh, my wife did. She's, she's the only honest one here. Come on, guys. Uh, blaming others, uh, very childish, uh, reactionary, childish, uh, being stubborn. Adults that hit their own nose to spite their face are being very childish, right? Selfish, lying, petty, um, gossipy, being just annoying is kind of sometimes childish. Um, but the adjective childlike describes a person's behavior in a positive way or in a good way. It highlights the good attributes of being a child. Trust, right? Innocence. How many of you remember the first, maybe I shouldn't talk about this in church, so Stella, I apologize. Do you remember your first dirty joke? times did you hear a bad joke or an off-color joke as a kid you had no idea what they were talking about on TV you know and and then suddenly you get to an age where you start to lose your innocence and you're like oh I know what that means now and to be childlike means to have some innocence and I think intuitively even though we're adults and we do adulting we long for the days of innocence where we could run free in the world, uh, in our backyard, in the front yard, at the grade school, carving our names on trees, 
doing silly things, and not worrying about any other thing that was going on. Because you were what? You're innocent, right? And so there's just that, that being childlike has a certain innocence to it. And, and we're all supposed to be, as we grow in Christ, become more and more innocent and more and more shrewd. That's what Jesus said. Be, be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. And also, children do not care about power. You know, they're not jockeying for position. And so there's really a lack of power. They don't care uh, a whole lot about who's running the game. They just want to play in the game, right? So in our text today, we're going to continue uh, Luke's chapter at 18. And I, I have a new... Uh, heading for chapter 18. I, I figured it out this week that it's it's really a chapter of contrast. Because he said, hey, there's this widow and there's an unrighteous judge, but you have a God that is righteous and will hear you. And there's this Pharisee that's praying basically to himself, or there's a tax collector, and, and that's a contrast. And today we're going to start another contrast. And I'm Fortunately or unfortunately, our, our text is only three verses long today, and it's about being childlike, and it's in contrast to next week's message about the rich young ruler. See, the rich young ruler, uh, well, he he's, has strength, he has power, and he has wealth, and he has position, and a child doesn't have any of that. And so when you look at the two together and you see these couplets, you go, oh, I see what Luke was doing. But before we get to our text, I, I, I do want to uh, uh, mention one, well, no, let's read the text. Grab your Bibles, Luke 18, we're going to begin at verse 15. Verse, eight, uh, verse 15 of chapter 18, sorry. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, or called, but Jesus called to them to him, saying, "Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God." And here's a really kind of a highlight, verse 17. It says, "Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it." So we have the disciples, and they're running crowd control. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's about a month out, six weeks out, before he's going to be crucified. So now that he's doing his ministry in Judea, the crowds are swelling up again because they're catching this messianic hope that Jesus is the one. He's the one. And so crowds are starting to get bigger. And so the, the disciples are running crowd control, letting those that they think are important get to the head of the line, and the one with the little children and the infants are, are back at the end. And it's not the first time the disciples have tried to do this. Um, do you remember when they wanted to send the crowd away because they were just hungry and Jesus ends up feeding them? Or how about the, the uh, Samaritan woman or uh, it was really a Canaanite woman who came and said, would you please heal my daughter? And again, it said, the text says the disciples tried to get rid of her, tried to stop her, and Jesus heard about it and said, what's going on? You know, come tell me. And he ends up healing the daughter. And then also, they're a little upset when he's at this uh, well. 
And the Samaritan woman comes. They're, they want to get rid. So they're already trying to get rid of these parents that are coming with these infants. And don't bother Jesus. And it's kind of interesting that Mark and Matthew mention a different word than Luke does. Luke mentions the word infant, specifically infant, small little children. Whereas the parallel passages in Mark and Matthew mention children up to 12 years of age. And so it's not just these little infants, but there's a whole bunch of people that are doing this. And they look at the parents and say, they've got nothing to offer this revolution. Because that's what they're thinking. We're about to start a revolution. We don't need little kids around. We need the rich young ruler. We need somebody with power and strength and position and influence. That's who needs to go to the head of the line. But Jesus says, well, another text says that he became indignant with them. It's only a few times that Jesus got angry. Cleaning the temple, right? Uh, the withered hand of the man in the, in the synagogue. And he says, should I heal him? And they're all like, oh, it's the Sabbath. And he does it. Says that Jesus was angry. The only other people he gets angry with are his disciples. And this is one of those times. He gets angry at them, saying, don't you understand that the kingdom of God, you have to be like a child. So these are like perfect object lessons for Jesus to use. And the blessing of children wasn't a new concept. If you were a famous rabbi, you had lots of people coming to you and asking them to bless your children. And so... This isn't like something weird that's going on with the disciples. No, they're, they're just running crowd control. But let's just slow the tape down for a second. Take a deep breath. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke the world into existence? Colossians says he holds all things together by the power of his word. That Jesus takes up an infant and gazes down into the eyes of that babe. What a tender moment that we just kind of gloss over in Scripture. And it just, I mean, the Creator God holding this child, this infant, and it's just like, wow. And yet the disciples are missing it, right? Have you ever missed something that Jesus was doing in your life? Because you were too busy distracted on what he was really doing when he tried to hold you so that he could comfort you. Because that's why you hold children, right? To comfort them. Mm -hmm. And to touch them. To have that tactile sensation. And he was blessing them. Speaking words of life over them. What a tender moment that's going on. And the disciples are like, hey, we don't have time for this. You know what? You have time for this, don't we? We have time to slow down our lives and the tape to realize that Jesus still wants to hold his children. Not just infants, but his children. But look at verse 17. Go back, because it's really, Jesus is now teaching into the moment. And it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What? Childlike attributes as Jesus referring to. You know, we talked about a few of them, but just, again, slow the tape down a little. What childlike attitudes is Jesus mentioning, or at least wanting us to think about? Or what childlike behaviors is Jesus mentioning? 
to receive the kingdom like a child? What does that mean? I mean, it's a little cryptic. Now, I, I'm going to slam our generation just a little. Can I have permission to do that? Thank you. <laughs> and my wife's permission, so thank you. <laughs> Kids are being raised differently today than they were. Yeah. Okay, now I get a yeah, right? Imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago. See, in the Jewish culture, you know, children were loved, but boy, were they disciplined. You know, they were really well-behaved children. You don't, didn't get out of line. And so when Jesus is referring that we need to be childlike, he's referring more to that context than to the tantrum-filled scenes we see at Walmart with children, right? When they don't get their own weight, or they don't get their own cup, or they don't get their own juice, or they don't get their own TV show, whatever it is. And, and so you just put that in your mind, that the context that Jesus is saying childlike, it really is that innocence. Uh, children, children are normally humble. In other words, they're not always thinking about themselves. Good kids, let me differentiate that way, good kids. You go up to Hannah, Hannah, let's say you're three years old, okay? And you have a bag of M&Ms. And I come up to you, and I say, Hannah, can I have some M&Ms? What are the chances she's going to share? Not likely. <laughs> you're blowing my illustration. Okay, you have to think about 2,000 years ago, kids. Not the ones you, you are with every day. Then yes, I would. They, they normally will offer you some. Now, if you go up to a kid and you grab at them, what do they naturally do? They pull back. Well, that's their dominion sensor going off. That's not being selfish. You are just in, invading their fairness, right? But generally, kids are humble. They, they will share. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. They don't seek rank or position. Uh, they also recognize their need for help. There's a level of helplessness that they understand. The most frustrating thing that for, for me with dealing with children is when they need help but they refuse to ask. And then they throw a frustration tantrum, right? Instead of just teaching them, it's okay to ask for help. I mean, are we still learning that lesson as adults? It's okay to ask for help. And so, but children know they need help. They know they need brushing their teeth. They know they need all these things. And they really do trust adults, don't they? That's how come they can be taken advantage of so easily. They, they're trusting the people in authority over them that they're going to tell them good things and truth. And children are open. You know, They don't have secrets that they're hiding because they don't even know that they are to hide anything. That's what's so funny about some kids that get in trouble. You know, they leave, they leave the evidence all behind, right? They don't even have the wisdom to clean up the evidence when they get into the cookie jar. You know, they got crumbs all over them, and, and they don't know any better. They also have a willingness to try new things, right? At least they should, right, to try new things. Because you have to teach them how to read. You have to teach them how to tie their shoe. You have to teach them how to brush their teeth. And those are all new concepts to them. And so, believe it or not, maybe they, you have a picky eater, but most of the time kids will learn to try something new. Uh, and 
they're okay if they fail, right? How many of you successfully rode a bicycle without training wheels the very first time? I mean, you didn't ever even use training wheels. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> you know, otherwise we do this, right? We wobble and we fall, but then we're, we don't cry and then we can't ever do it again. We get back up because our parents are there to encourage us and it's okay if you fail. And they're not really hypocrites. What, when you, what you see is what you get. They don't wear a mask. What I love about uh, children, too, is the good ones. They respect authority. You know, especially when you're a teacher, a substitute teacher, like I do sometimes. You go into a classroom and you have to have a, a command of the, of the classroom. And most, that's why I love to teach elementary school. And I don't like to teach older grades because the younger kids still have a level of respect for authority. And, and it's just like, yeah, that's awesome. They also obey. Kid, children obey. And that's a beautiful thing. They have short memories. They're quick to forgive. And here's the key, though, I think. They are totally dependent on others for everything. Because they're not like the rich young ruler that we're going to talk about next week. They have no strength. They have no power. They have no resources. Children are dependent upon everyone else. And so let's go back to that text where it says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it that we are totally dependent on Jesus for everything. Now, I, I know the, the sermon could end here, right here. It really could, because it's a simple message, that we are to be like a child. And we've talked a little bit about what that looks like in our culture, but what does that look like in a biblical setting? What does it mean to have a heart, to have a spirit, to have a soul that is trusting of Jesus? I, I have seven things for you. And we're really probably going to go through quick. I know my, my sermons are no, normally about 35 minutes long, but today may be short. So, one for the giver, right? <laughs> Very first fill in the blank. Our redemption is dependent and complete in Christ. Our redemption. Now, redemption is a, is a biblical word, and so there's nothing wrong with it, but it is a churchy word that the world doesn't quite always understand what redemption means. When we have more pawn shops, we understand more about, about redemption. But it, it really means that you were purchased back from who bought you when you sinned. And that is, you belong to not the Lord. You owed your life somewhere else. And... It says that Jesus redeems you back out of Galatians. And I have it. It's, it's on your outline if you want to make a reference note. That says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to purchase back, to take back those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And so we were once outsiders and now we're insiders because someone paid the price to bring you into the family. And that is a beautiful thing, but it is not dependent on you. 
You are not Shamu jumping through the, the hoop to get a piece of squid to try to find and approve, uh, uh, get God's approval. He redeemed you. He made the first move. He's the one that had the purchase price. And he's the one that pulled you. And it says, because now that you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. That's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus that lives in you. The spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba. Now, Victoria uses Abba sometimes when she prays, and I love it. Because Abba is a word in Aramaic that means daddy. You're like, oh, I don't feel comfortable calling God daddy. But that's the tenderness of this redemption. And that is, he is your daddy. And the more that you can understand that he's your daddy, then the more you're going to be able to be more like a child. And if you just see God as this big policeman in the sky, you're not going to call him daddy. But when it says, he has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir. You're an heir through God. And she's like, all right. There's some really great things being childlike, isn't there? And one is, my salvation does not depend on how good I am. Hallelujah, thank God. Right? Because we're all sunk if it's on a performance. We're great on a curve. We're off the curve. Because there's always someone better tomorrow. And, and it's just like, no. We're redeemed because of what he did. I'm totally, you're totally dependent, and it's complete in Christ. The number second thing, or number two thing, is this, our justification. Another churchy word, you know, but again, it's a word we find in the Bible a lot, so we have to just educate people on justification. But our justification is dependent and complete in Christ, which, which means, well, let me read the, the verse where it comes out of. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which could not free you by the law of Moses. It's one thing to be receive mercy. It's another thing to receive forgiveness. But to be justified means that somebody else took your place. It, it really has a different connotation that you now can go into that throne room of grace and there's not this little bit of leftover from before. Oh yeah, you're the guy that I had to forgive. Oh, you're the one that had to have forgiveness. It says that we're justified through Christ. Everyone who believes is free from trying to justify themselves. I don't know if you've ever gotten into an argument and you've tried to justify yourself. Sometimes it doesn't always go well, does it? Because a lot of times when we start to justify ourselves, there's a reason we have to justify ourselves, right? And the thing is, the scripture says you've been justified. You don't, you don't have to keep defending yourself because there is no defense for you. You just said, yeah, I screwed up. But thank you, Jesus, I'm justified in him. Number three is this, our holiness is dependent and complete in Christ. Another churchy word, holiness, 
and you think of people in robes and hats or monasteries, but holiness means you don't live like the world, right? Think different than the world. Our holiness is dependent and complete in Christ. At Corinthians it says this, and there are problems in the Corinthian church, that's why he had to write the letter to them, but he had to remind them of this, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, another churchy word that means that you are being made perfect, you are being made holy, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But our holiness, our, our difference from the world is not based on how hard you try. Sometimes, yesterday I did plumbing work. Okay, I did it for 11 and a half hours to just do a simple job. And it was at that point where it's like, try harder, try harder, try harder. You know how successful it is to tell somebody to try harder <laughs> when you're done? And so many people are out there that think Christianity is just a morality, and you just have to try harder. Oh, you're addicted to porn? Try harder. What? You're, you're, you're having those selfish thoughts again? Try harder. Now, there is, you do need to surrender to Christ. I don't want to negate any of that surrender part. But he gives us the strength. It's his strength that we re rely upon. And our holiness isn't about how hard you try. It is about just being surrendered. Two completely opposite uh, motivation factors, two ways to put your strength. Uh, and yesterday, uh, you know, 5.30, I am trying hard, and I got my plumbing done. Tammy has a kitchen sink again. Woohoo! Right? <laughs> but I knew that it was just a matter of trying harder, but uh, that, that's a physical thing, you know? But what about your spiritual walk? Trying harder means you're focused on who? Yourself. Me, I, I'm going to do this. If it's, up, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Well, you've already lost, haven't you? And so it says our holiness and our, our righteousness and redemption. It, it, it said three things in that text. But our holiness is based on the work of Jesus, not me. Because I don't measure up. And I'm okay with that. Finally come to the point in your life that you're okay with not being the one that has this perfect image and you say, no, i got warts, I've got blemishes, I've got problems, and then God can start working on those things. And so his, it's his holiness that, that brings us to that dependency and being complete in Christ. Number four is this, our peace is dependent and complete in Christ. Ephesians says it this way, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of two. You want to get rid of all racial tension in the world? Jesus said, I broke down that barrier. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter where you grew up. Doesn't matter how much money you have. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And he has broken down the dividing wall and has given us two kinds of peace. Peace with him, 
Thank you, Jesus. And then peace this way with each other. Isn't that beautiful? I wish the world could get that simple message, don't you? But it has to come through not our own effort, but through the power of Christ. He is our peace. Because if you get right this way, you get right this way, and then you're right in here, and then it's less, wow, I've got peace. No matter what my circumstances are. Number five is this, our strength. We, we, we briefly mentioned it in, in our holiness, but our strength is dependent and complete in Christ. And I know this verse is often taken out of context. The context is, Paul says, I know how to be rich, and I know how to be poor. I know how to live in any circumstance that I find myself in. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's what that verse says. Again, it's his strength, our surrender. His strength, our surrender. I, I mentioned this, was it last week or the week before? Where, where Samwise, or Frodo says to Sam, I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. You know, they're at the foot of Mount Doom or wherever they're at to throw their ring of power into the, into the big chasm. And he just says, I can't do it anymore. We feel like that sometimes, right? Because we've been relying on our own strength instead of the strength. And then Samwise picks him up and you know carries him the rest of the way. That's what we need to do. Because a child, when he gets tired of Disneyland, he doesn't just get dragged by his parents to the exit. What does a parent do? Picks him up. That's a good illustration about the strength that we rely upon to get us through the exit of the day. We rely upon Jesus. He's the one that gives you the strength. Some of you have gone through divorce. Some of you have gone through a fire. Some of you have gone through miscarriages. Some of you have lost people way before the time. And you look back in your life and you say, how did God carry me through that? Well, that's when you finally gave into his strength. And he carried you. And, it's, and sometimes it's a blur. You, and you know what? Sometimes it's a blur because God is actually protecting you from some, some times that were really troubled. My, my mom grew up during the Depression, and her and her sister, and they, there were nine kids in that family, uh, they, they decided that they were going to write a book about living through the Depression and how terrible it was. And when they started recounting the stories, it was breaking their heart. They said, we can't do this. So, so they stopped recording, they stopped writing, because it was too difficult to relive those memories. And then they think, how did we get through those times? And if you're a believer, you're like, it's because of the Lord. And, and they were. You know, my mother and my aunt that were doing this said, no, it was through God's grace that got us through. And so it is that strength that we get that's incredible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Number six is this. Our joy at death is dependent and complete in Christ. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. But in Philippians, Paul's writing. He says, I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know if I'm going to stay. If I stick around, it's good for you because I'll come visit you and teach you and encourage you. But I really want to go to heaven. 
I really want to just cash in my chips and, and call it a day. You know, I, I've been through the ringer, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beat, I've been left for dead, I've been stoned to death, but then I got back up. You know, all these things have happened to him, and he's like, I'm tired. But, he says, if God wants me to stick around for your sake, I'll stick around. But in that context, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And basically, if you think living is good, dying's even better. Because you get to be with Jesus. And so there are so many people today that you run into and they're scared to death of death. They're going to do everything in the world to postpone that moment. Because they're scared to death of it. And Paul says, why? It's the greatest adventure there is. You're going to be with Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're going to be with Jesus. And so there is, there is joy at death and not fear. And... Number seven is this, our resurrection and eternal glory is dependent and complete in Christ. Philippians, again out of Philippians, it says our citizenship is in heaven and we await it, a savior from it, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. In other words, we get rid of this tent and get something permanent, something more like an angel. Something that's going to allow us, I hopefully, to teletransport. Because if you've ever seen how big heaven is, 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles, the, just just the city of the new city of Jerusalem, I think there's going to be some teletransportation going on. You know, where an angel can, or you go. I know I'm getting a little sci-fi on you. I don't mean to, but but basically, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, because God already has tomorrow. And that's the important thing. I want to close with, with a story. It's a great story. You might have heard it before. Uh, I don't know when, when I shared it last, but it, it's just good. There's about a, it's a story about an orphan boy. This is about 100 years ago when they still had orphanages. Remember that, those times? And he was living with his grandmother, and there was a fire in the house. And the fire uh, basically uh, overwhelmed uh, the grandmother, the smoke, as she was going upstairs to try to rescue the, the grandchild. So the only one left now is the grandchild alive, and he's at the window. People have gathered at the town, not knowing what to do. You know, they didn't have a fire department, they didn't have 911. And uh, the boy was screaming, and a man came out of the crowd, and he climbed up the iron, cast iron pipe that was next to the wall of the house. The boy grabbed on his back, and he came back down. Well, a few weeks later, the, the town was having a, a little trial, if you want to say that, a little hearing to determine where the, the boy was going to now live since uh, his parents were gone already and now his grandmother's dead. And who's going to take the boy? And so uh, a professor came forward and said, well, I think I can provide him the best education. A lawyer said, well, I can provide him the best money. And, and someone else came forward and said, well, you know, I can, I can provide a, a, a child hood that is beautiful for this child. Meanwhile, the whole time, the boy is just looking down like this. And all of a sudden, a, a man that had bandages around his hands walked out of the crowd. The boy looked up and recognized that was the man who climbed the iron pipe. And then suddenly, two plus two was going on, and they all figured 
his hands were so scarred because that pipe was burning hot when he climbed up to rescue the child. That's what Jesus has done. He has rescued us children from a burning fire. And he deserves our life, our loyalty, our fidelity. We sang some songs about how we live our lives for you, that he's our good father. Such a true statement in these three little verses that we are to come into the kingdom like a child. Our pride, our pretenses, our accomplishments, everything that we have self-identified so that we could be somebody in the world all fades away and we realize he's the one that bought us back and he's my real father. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your incredible love for us that broke into this world that was spinning out of control, not only corporately, but individually, and how you came into our lives and rescued us, and how you still continue to want us to not grow up. I won't say to be like Peter Pan, Lord, but to, to just have that innocence, that, that trust, to not go after rake or, or, or anything like that, not to be like the world, but to completely de be dependent upon you. Father, sometimes I think that because our cupboards are so full, we don't really rely upon you. Because a paycheck shows up in our bank account every week or every other week, we, we really don't rely upon you. Father, forgive us of those thoughts, even if they're unconscious, that we would come to you and be totally dependent once again, afresh and anew today, and to be thankful, to have thankful hearts, and to realize what a good daddy you really are to us. We love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.